0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Actus Podcast, a bi weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI, as well as sharing the latest news relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. I'm Carla Kozak, an editor and product coordinator for Actus, and I'll also be your host for today's show, which is part of our Conversations with Carla series. In every episode of this series, I am lucky enough to be joined by a guest who's behind one of our most exciting and popular Actis educational offerings to share their expertise. Today, I'm thrilled to have as my guest Kelly Sutton, RN, BSN, MHL, CCDS, CCS, the CDI Educator for Providence Health and Services Oregon. Kelly joined us in a previous episode to discuss the CDI educator role, and she's back today for a discussion focused specifically on provider education. However, if you'd like to listen to our previous episode with us as well, you can use the link in today's show notes. Kelly's CDI career started in 2015 as a frontline CDI specialist in a suburban 170-plus bed facility in Sebring, Florida. She earned her CCDS certification in 2018 and was promoted to a newly created CDI educator role in January 2019. As the CDI program transitioned away from facility-based to a divisional-led program, the educator role allowed her to participate in the creation of policies and processes for the division. She stepped into the role of system CDI educator and implementation specialist in August 2021, where she provided CDI education and software program support to over 40 facilities across the system. Her current role is CDI educator and auditor for Providence Health and Services Oregon. She obtained her CCS certification in 2022, and she is a member of several professional organizations, including ACTIS and the Florida Actus Local Chapter. Kelly is also a member of the Actus Advisory Board, serving through April 2024, a member of the Actus Leadership Council, and has spoken at several ACTIS national events. Just a quick reminder that the Actis podcast now offers 0.5 Actis CEUs for the first two days after posting, which can be used towards your CCDS or CCDSO recertification requirements. We'll share the instructions at the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. And now, before we jump into our topic and our conversation with Kelly, a brief word about today's sponsor.
1: In lieu of a regular ad today... I wanted to make sure you're all aware of the exciting change that took place last week. This is Rebecca Hendren, Director of Programming for Actis. And you may have seen that HC Pro, the parent company of Actis, has been acquired by the American Health Information Management Association, better known to all of us as AHIMA. We are now part of the AHIMA Enterprise family, but we are being run as a completely separate entity. Nothing will change to Actis membership benefits, to the CCBS and CCBSO certifications and how they are managed, or to any of Actis's services. And most importantly, nothing is changing in our mission and vision for the CDI profession. All of the ACTUS team will continue to work as hard as we ever have to promote and support the CDI profession and all of you. If you have any questions at all, please don't hesitate to email me at info at
0: Thank you again for joining us today, Kelly. I'm so excited to have you here with me to continue talking about the CDI educator role, because it really is such an important role uh, for CDI professionals. Since the last time you were on our podcast, you've changed roles slightly. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what your day-to-day looks like in your new role, just so that listeners can have a better understanding of your background as an educator?
2: Sure, and thanks for having me. So, in my previous roles, um, I worked as a regional educator, where my responsibilities included overseeing the onboarding process for new employees, as well as creating and implementing education for over 40 employees and multiple physician groups across 11 facilities. Prior to my current role, I also worked as a corporate CDI educator and implementation specialist, and my responsibilities included providing standardized CDI education and CDI software support to our CDI teams, coders and providers across 45 um, facilities. My role was a lot more behind the scenes, which um, you know, I've really missed the hands-on education I was able to provide in that regional role. And that led me to my current role as CDI educator for the Providence, Oregon CDI team. So I'm still in orientation and this role is very new to me. But I'm learning what my day-to-day role will entail. I've been performing audits and providing education and feedback for the team. And this will give me the opportunity to be in patient charts more frequently and doing that investigative CDI work that I really love. And it also gives me the opportunity to provide education and interact with the team on a regular basis. So our team is super engaged and excited for the education and they're really an educator's dream come true. My role will also include developing CDI provider education, as I've done
0: in the past. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kelly. Congratulations on your new role. And it sounds like you've really got an opportunity to be in the weeds here, um, or in the trenches, I should say, which is very exciting for someone um, like you. I can tell you really like to get in there and be on the ground and see what's going on. I do. What's one of the most challenging aspects of being a CDI educator? And if anybody's thinking about becoming a CDI educator, what advice can you give to them for overcoming that?
2: Well, one of the most challenging aspects of being a CDI educator is that you become everyone's everything. You become everyone's go-to person. So trying to find enough time in the day to complete the development of education, troubleshoot software issues, provide support with process and policy, And just answering those day-to-day questions, that can sometimes be very difficult. So to overcome this, I really think you have to prioritize your to-do list. That's super important. For me personally, my team and their immediate needs come first. So i like to say that um, no one dies on CDI. And I try to remember that as I set my personal goals for the day. I try not to get too stressed out about my day not going as planned because that pretty much happens every day. Many of the things an educator is responsible for are time sensitive, but however, um, some tasks can be pushed to the next day. Another challenging aspect is the lack of career ladders for CDI educators. Most organizations have career ladders for their CDI teams. However, educators are oftentimes without a career ladder. So this makes it difficult for the educator to have avenues for advancement within the educator role. To help overcome this, it's important to work with your leadership team to help develop the criteria and implement career ladders for the educator's professional growth and development.
0: Sounds like it's really a balancing act being a CDI educator. You have to balance the the needs of your team with your to-dos and your priorities, but also keep in mind your own personal growth and making sure that you're going after that as well.
2: That's true. And if you're a decent educator, people do really reach out to you a lot. If you're approachable, Um, that's a great thing because our team will come to you with questions. So yeah, it can be a lot some days.
0: Absolutely. Now let's get to the meat of our conversation. The real reason I invited you here (laughs) to talk provider education, because it's such a, it's such a hot topic. It's such, um, it can be very challenging for some people to, think about or to approach, not everyone knows where to start, but it's so important to engage with providers. What opportunities, in your experience, are there to partner with providers when it comes to CDI education?
2: So there are always opportunities to partner with your providers. CDI teams can get involved in like different committee meetings. For instance, in the past, our CDI teams have collaborated on the sepsis committee. And we help develop education for providers and CDI teams that reinforce which sepsis criteria the system has agreed upon so that everyone's hearing one consistent message, not only from administration, the sepsis committee, but also from CDI. And then also, CDI teams have partnered with, like the CABBAGE committee, for instance, to develop provider education tips for risk adjustment in the CABBAGE population. And the CABBAGE abstractors on that committee were more than happy to partner with us as the educators. As, as the education we developed helped when they abstracted data from the documentation for their STS performance measures. And also, if you have um, whether you have an on site, hybrid, or a remote program, um, the CDI team can work towards getting invited to various provider groups' monthly meetings. Maybe the team could have a representative join a hospital's monthly meeting to provide like a quick five minute education session for the providers. Or maybe the team could have a representative join specialty meetings and provide a quick five to 10 minute education session relative to that specialty. So all these things have been um, successful for me previously.
0: That's awesome to hear. You've got some really great suggestions in there, Kelly, and I can tell that it's based on your experience. And it's great to hear that those have been successful endeavors for you. As I as we mentioned, it can be challenging. Um, and on that note, Do you have, based on your experience, any tips for strengthening relationships with providers or securing buy-in from providers for CDI efforts?
2: Sure. So to strengthen relationships with providers, it's really important to show them how CDI supports them and their documentation efforts. Having maybe like a short introduction to CDI session or even a recorded video that can be completed during orientation helps the provider understand the functions of CDI The impacts um, on the provider documentation, why and how queries are sent, and the expectations for query turnaround time. So to me, providing that introduction to CDI during the orientation shows the organization's focus on CDI and the importance of the collaborative relationship between CDI and providers. It's also important to recognize providers for their efforts with documentation. So back when I was a frontline CDS, we started recognizing a provider of the month. And we asked the CDI team to submit the providers who were really highly engaged during the month. And then from all of those submissions, we picked the provider at random and named them provider of the month. So we feature these providers in our CDI newsletter with their picture and a short little um, paragraph on how they excelled with their documentation. Then later we started printing out a certificate, just like a simple um, certificate from Word that we created for them and had their name on it, of course. And we tried to present it to them in the physician dictation area or in the physician cafeteria in front of their peers to try to get that engagement buy-in. And I always heard how competitive providers are, but it was especially evident when we were handing out this monthly award. So eventually, we started taking a team picture with the provider as we handed them the award. And then we would post it on LinkedIn with the provider's permission, of course. Adding their accomplishment to LinkedIn took it to a whole nother level. So as you can imagine, provider recognition generated lots of conversation, and through those conversations, providers got to know the human side of the CDI team, and it helped highlight the importance of their documentation efforts and the outcomes of the collaborations with the CDI team. So provider recognition can still be done for remote teams. If you have collaboration and buy in from like your CMO or CFO or even CNO, consider asking them to present the provider with the award certificate and have someone on site take a picture and send it to you. You can still use a picture for a newsletter or a little LinkedIn blurb with the provider's permission again, of course. So in this day and age where facilities and organizations are fighting for every dollar, this is an easy way to recognize and engage providers. A major bonus of this strategy is that it's easy on the budget. And last but not least, um, perseverance is super important when seeking provider education or engagement. I like to tell a story of a provider that I worked with when I was in my frontline position. He was an older gentleman around retirement age, and to say that CDI was not his favorite department was a huge understatement. So our team would send him queries, he would ignore them, and we would end up in the escalation process on pretty much a weekly basis. So I made it my personal goal to win him over. I'd always seek him out and try to have a conversation with him, even if we didn't have any queries outstanding. I tried to engage him one day and ask him what topic he would like to see in our CDI newsletter. And he told me it didn't matter because he liked to line his birdcage with our CDI newsletter. (laughs) Well, I didn't let that deter me. I kept telling him um, all the ways that CDI could help help him represent the acuity of his patients. And one day after a very unpleasant meeting with his CMO about his length of stay and mortality metrics, um, he sought me out. And he explained that his O2E length of stay mortality, all his metrics were in the red. And he asked if we would help. Of course, I jumped at the chance to help this provider see the benefits of collaborating with CDI on a regular basis. So I asked him to come by our office every afternoon to go over any query opportunities. And he said he would. So each afternoon, we'd sit down together. We'd eat a little chocolate together. And then we'd talk about the actual acuity of his patients. And then the acuity of his patients as it appeared in the documentation. So we discussed each query in length. um, And if he agreed, he placed that diagnosis in the documentation as we talked. Every CDI's dream, right? So the next month, his conversation with the CMO went a lot better as his length of stay and mortality metrics had changed from red to green. That whole process of winning him over took over two years of perseverance, but we were finally able to show him that. Collaborating with CDI actually does benefit the provider. Funny enough, he actually decided we were actually a pretty fun and helpful group of CDSs. And from then on, he would actually stop by our office, see us on a regular basis, eat chocolate with us, of course, Um, even when he didn't even have outstanding queries. He he also um, ended up taking us out to lunch every CDI week.
0: I love that story so much kelly for so many different reasons like you said it is a cdi specialist dream story for starters so it's great to hear it happen in real life but i also love the element of both perseverance and i feel like there's a lot of grace given in that story too it sounds like um, the cdi team and this provider butted heads a lot but when it came down to it, when he needed help, the CDI team wanted to provide that information and that education. There was no bitterness or any sort of um, debate. It was just he needed the help he asked for, and the CDI team gave it to them, gave it to him. And I just think that that's such such a wonderful story and really reflects how excited the CDI department is when those opportunities arise for education.
2: Absolutely. And make sure, make your little CDI heart happy.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I also loved what you said about the provider of the month and how that recognition happened. I think you gave a great tip for how remote teams could engage in something like this. But like you said, many providers are by nature competitive and they like to win, don't we all? Um, So it's great to give them something to strive for that also meets the CDI goals of engaging providers. So I just, I loved that story as well. Um, Thank you very much for sharing it because I think that's something a lot of people could implement at their organizations relatively easily. Because like you said, it it is easy on the budget.
2: Absolutely, and if you are on site, um, you can make those certificates um, pop even more. Um, if you go on something like Amazon, you can get those uh, certificate holders, and you, they're super cheap. You can get fifty of them for like twenty bucks, and you put the certificate in the in the little certificate holder and present it to them, and it looks looks fancy.
0: Oh, I bet that sounds really nice. So when you don't have the providers coming directly to you with uh, or vocalizing what they're what they need help with. How do you determine what education to offer providers? And I know you said you're new to your current role, so feel free to draw on your previous experience as well.
2: Sure, so historically, I've analyzed um, the CDI data to look at the most often query conditions to determine what education to offer providers. I, um, in previous roles i have started with the top 20 most queried conditions and then developed tip sheets based on those um, conditions or diagnoses. Also, if you have access to denial data, it's important to share that information and education with the providers. Showing the providers which cases or diagnoses have been denied could provide super valuable insight into the importance of supporting each diagnosis or condition with the meet criteria. Providers don't typically have that insight as to how quickly a DRG can change based on a denial or the implications of that DRG change on things like the reimbursement, length of stay, and even the risk adjustment. You can also use a tool like Microsoft Forms or SurveyMonkey to ask providers what education would be most
0: beneficial to them. And when you do present this education, is it something you've created internally or in the past, have you worked with other organizations to deliver this education?
2: So in the past, I've used a mix of vendor-created education and internally-created education. Awesome.
0: Thank you. That's just a question we get a lot, so I wanted to hear your take on it. And when it comes to delivering the education, are there some methods that you found work better than others?
2: Yes. <laughs> so I've offered that vendor created, um, we had provider CDI boot camps with CMEs that we thought was going to go over super well with the providers um, in the past. But the providers did not take advantage of that education, just I think due to the amount of time necessary to complete those boot camps. So I ended up working with the vendor to break down the modules um, within the boot camp into more digestible sessions as far as time, so that each session was really just about an hour long, um, still offered a CME. Uh, Most providers were interested in the shorter education sessions, but it still wasn't really widely adopted. As far as the internally created education, this type of education seems to be more accepted and appreciated. I've done a couple of things in the past. I've used a two-page CDI tip sheet created just using a simple Word document that focuses on one specific disease or condition. And these tip sheets include like the clinical definition of the disease or condition, clinical indicators, risk factors and treatments, and then a section for provider documentation tips. So I also include how the condition can contribute to the relative weight and length of stay. I included a clinical scenario and an example of clarification that might be sent for that condition. So this education was shared via email with the CMOs, and then they distributed it to their providers. I think sharing the CDI tips through the CMO helped show that administration support and buy-in for the CDI efforts, and then it also ensured everyone was hearing the same consistent message. The provider education that seems to have been the biggest hit, has been um, the provider best practice documentation tip sheets. I create it using a simple word document, and I create a section for general information, such as a definition of the clinical condition or diagnosis. And sometimes I include information about the terms that are documented that don't translate to the condition that the provider thinks they're documenting. For instance, the hyponatremia tip sheet. I would include documentation of low sodium, or sodium of 121, does not translate to a coded diagnosis of hyponatremia. I'd also include a section on specificity or chronicity. So, for example, if the diagnosis or condition requires documentation of acute, chronic, or acute on chronic in order to code that condition, or with heart failure, for instance, documentation should also include systolic, diastolic, preserved EF, or reduced EF. In the next section I include um, for documentation tips, I create two different columns. On the left-hand side, I include the the documentation phrases to avoid. And on the right-hand side, I include what documentation should be used instead. So going back to the hyponatremia example, on the left-hand side, I would include like a little down arrow and NA for low sodium as documentation to avoid. And on the right-hand side, I'd ask the provider to document instead hyponatremia if it was supported. And lastly, on that tip sheet, I'd add a section for pro tips, and this, can include, and this can include any other information about the diagnosis or additional documentation tips that weren't previously covered. I also include when the conditions might help with risk adjustment and support the severity of illness and the acuity of the patient. In the past, I've also added a QR code at the bottom that the provider could scan to request CMEs for completion of the tip sheets. And that QR code can really also just be used for tracking purposes if you're not offering CMEs. Honestly, in my experience, offering a CME wasn't as big a benefit as I thought it would be. I thought it was going to go over really great. But these providers a lot of times get so many different free CMEs or they go on a cruise and get all the CMEs they need. So most providers just wanted the education. Um, Again, these tip sheets can be sent out electronically. They could be stored on a SharePoint site or they can be hung around the organization. And they can also be used in hospital meetings for quick, really easily digestible bits of CDI education.
0: I love the idea of the CDI tip sheets because they seem portable. They're quick to read. It's one-stop shopping when it comes to everything about a diagnosis. And perhaps this goes without saying, but I want to ask anyways, is this something you've seen a lot of successful engagement with?
2: Yeah, that's been the thing that has... um, gain the most success across um, across the system I previously worked at. They really just wanted, you know, physicians, they don't have the time. So they just want that quick. I want to look at a condition. I want to see what I need to do. Down, dirty, basic. That's
0: it. Absolutely. And I can see how something easy to use at a glance like this would really be beneficial and would go over well with physicians who, like you said, are so strapped for time. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you so much, Kelly, for returning as a guest on the Actus podcast. This has been such a great conversation. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, though. But as always, if our audience has any questions about this topic, they can feel free to email the Actis team at info at, info at We'll also put that email in today's show notes, which are available on the show page at actus.org and in your podcast app so you can grab it from there. Again, thank you so much for being with us today, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Now it's time for the Actus Update, a regular segment featuring the latest news on what's going on inside the association. I know it's just barely fall right now, but here at Actus, we like to live in the future. So we're already thinking ahead to spring, namely the 2024 Actus Conference, which will be taking place in April in Indianapolis, Indiana. As we're sitting here planning the conference and trying to put together the most exciting agenda for you, we've decided to make a few changes based on the exciting submissions we've gotten. So for 2024, we'll be introducing two new tracks. For those of you that aren't familiar with the Actus conference, we break out each day into a series of tracks so that you always have different options for education. There's usually five sessions running at the same time, one in each track, and you can pick the session that is of most interest to you. So this year we're debuting two new tracks. The first one is called Professional Development and Collaboration. This track allows attendees to expand their professional skills, deepen their leadership acumen, and explore opportunities to collaborate with other departments. With this track, we really wanted to give attendees the chance to hone their professional development and their professional skills. Whether they're a new leader, a seasoned veteran in the field, or somebody new to the field entirely, we wanted to provide sessions that everybody could take something away from. We also noticed that we received a lot of submissions about collaborating with other departments, so it felt really important to us to acknowledge how collaborative CDI is by working that into a track. So sessions in this track will include topics such as power dynamics, emotional intelligence, and collaborating with utilization management and care management, just to name a few. The second all-new track that we'll be introducing for 2024 is the Program Development and Denials Management track, which allows attendees to ensure their program is keeping pace with the evolving CDI landscape and to learn strategies for combating denials. We know that denials are such a hot topic right now because every organization is facing them. And by attending the actus conference, we want to help equip you with the strategies that you need to combat these denials. Topics that will be covered in this track include case mix index, how to advance your program to the next level, as well as multiple perspectives on combating denials or appealing, den- uh, appealing denials. We'll also see the return of some of our favorite tracks this year, like the Clinical Encoding Track, a much-loved conference staple that examines core clinical encoding components. It's perfect for those new to CDI or those looking to brush up on their foundational knowledge. In 2024, sessions will cover important processes like querying and reconciliation, and speakers will take deep dives into clinical topics such as encephalopathy, impellas, and debridement. The Quality and Regulatory track, another staple, will also be returning. Here, attendees will be able to explore the ways regulatory initiatives affect CDI practices and how programs are meeting new challenges. This will be done by examining how documentation affects quality of care outcomes. Some topics that will be highlighted in this track include patient safety indicators, risk adjustment, and audits. Our last track will be the Innovation and Expansion track, where attendees will have the chance to discover cutting-edge advancements in CDI, including non-traditional settings, technology and analytics, outpatient CDI, and pediatrics. Attendees who attend sessions in this track will learn about leveraging technology. They'll be able to explore advanced pediatrics topics, and they'll also get to understand CDI and settings beyond just the inpatient setting. You can learn more about the conference by using the link in today's show notes. We're so excited to see you in April and to discover what's on the horizon for CDI. As a reminder before we close out, each Actis podcast episode now offers 0.5 Actis CEUs, which can be used towards recertifying your CCDS or CCDSO credential for those who listen to the show in the first two days from the time of publication. To receive your 0.5 CEUs, go to the show page on actus.org by clicking on the Actus podcast link under the resources tab, and then click on today's episode from the list on that page. Then you'll want to scroll down to the recording and click play. At the end of the video, all the way at the end when the timer gets to zero, a link to the CEU evaluation will appear. You'll just click on that, take the survey, and your certificate will automatically be emailed to you upon submitting the brief evaluation. Those instructions are also laid out on the show page, so you can follow along there too. The cutoff for today's episode CEU is Friday, October 13th at 11 p.m. Eastern. After that point, the CEU period will close, and you will not be eligible for the 0.5 CEUs for this week's episode. Remember, if you listen to all the episodes and claim all the CEUs for the podcast episodes this year, you'll have earned 13 free CEUs for the year. With that, we've reached the end of today's Actus podcast episode. But we'll be back in two weeks on Wednesday, October 25th, with a new episode in our Actus Happy Hour series, which provides a behind-the-scenes look at what's going on inside the association. If you'd like to receive reminders about each episode, make sure you're subscribed to our free weekly newsletter, CDI Strategies, which always includes a link to the new episode when it's available. You can listen to the show at any time on the Actus website or via Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. All the links we discussed during today's episode will be available in the show notes. And as always, we'd really appreciate it if you'd take a minute to leave us a five-star review on your podcast app to help others find our show. Our intro and outro music is Media Noche by Dian Key, and our ad music is Take Me Higher by Jazar, both obtained from the Free Music Archive. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, please email us at infoactus.org. Until next time, take care, everyone.